lifted me from the miry clay. Almighty, forever, I will never be the same, because you came near from the everlasting to the world we live, the Father's only Son. again on high and you open the way for the world to live again hallelujah for all you've done will you stand my savior redeemer Lifted me from the miry clay, Almighty, forever. I will never be the same, cause you came near from the everlasting to the world we live, the Father's only Son. And you live and you die. Again on high, and you open the way for the world to live again. Hallelujah! For all you've done, you lived and died, and you live and you die, and you rose again on high. Open the way for the world to live again. Hallelujah. For all you've done. Hallelujah. For all you've done. Why should I fear man? made the heavens. Why should I be afraid when you put the stars in place? Why should I lose heart when I know how great you are? Why should I give up when your plans are full of love? In this world we will But you have overcome the world. You shine brighter than the brightest star. Your love is purer than the purest heart. You shine, filling us with courage and strength. Father 
come to you this morning with our hearts open to your uh, voice. And Lord, we want to be not only hearing you, but then acting upon the things that you're saying into our lives and into our spirit. As we are in this place this morning, we appreciate the scripture's promise that you are present. You are not a far away God that we have to cast our sounds or our thoughts or our desires up into the skies to reach you, but you are present with us in this place. So we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We welcome your spirit into this place. May we love you through our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I can feel you. I can feel you flowing through me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up, come and fill me up. For love and mercy, fill my senses, I am thirsty for your presence, Lord, come and fill me up. mercy wash away all of my sin. Fill me completely with your love once again. I need you. I want you. I love your presence. I need you. I want you. Holy Spirit. 
Spirit, come and fill me up. Come and fill me up. Love and mercy fill my senses. I am thirsty for your presence, Lord. Come and fill me up. Lord, let your mercy wash away all of my sin. Fill me completely with your love once again. I need you. I want you. I love your presence. I need you. I want you. I love your presence.
Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, we pray your will this morning, that your will be accomplished through our lives, that your will be accomplished in this place as we bring worship and praise. Lord, it's your will that we desire. We desire your presence. We desire to be walking in the right way and doing the things you would have us to do and being that person, becoming that image that you've written about in your word, the image of your son. We thank you for the privilege we have to be in this place to be gathered as a family. We thank you for the children and the parents and the grandparents and all those in attendance today. May you bless the lives of your people as we gather to give you praise. And as we bring an offering, we leave it to you, Lord. You make it the way it should be. Take it from our hands that are open to you. And may our lives be changed as we continue in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hard for me to imagine a more negative or depressing opening statement for a book than what we looked at last week in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And what follows that, base, that statement is the basis upon which that conclusion is built. It's like an extreme athlete's need for an adrenaline rush to make them feel alive. Ecclesiastes reflects a search for meaning in all the places and experiences that so often we will fill our lives with to provide them with sort of some sort of meaning and purpose for why we're alive. Things like the pursuit of knowledge or pleasure or possessions or position or achievements or work. Yet when all is said and done, each one really proves to be little more than hot air and empty promises. Because even if we do attain them, What's the point? None answer that fundamental question, why am I here? And Jesus said, what does it profit us? What good does it do us if we gain the whole world but forfeit our own soul? Or to use the writer's own words, in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11, it says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life but I found that this too was all meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. 
So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, while I'm not planning to work through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, I want to use it as a backdrop as, for this series on purpose and meaning in life. Because the writer sought something worth giving his life to, something to provide meaning and direction, trying everything he says that the world has to offer, and he came up short time and time again. So in chapter 1, he sought meaning for life through attaining knowledge and wisdom only to discover, as he says in chapter 1, verse 18, by themselves these are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The first half of chapter 2, he says he sought meaning in pleasure, living for the moment, denying himself nothing his heart desired. But again, in the end, in verse 11 of chapter 2, he says it's all meaningless, nothing more than chasing after the wind. The second half of chapter 2, He sought purpose by throwing himself into his work, only to find it so elusive as, in verse 26, he says, again, this too was meaningless, merely chasing after the wind. In chapter 4, he sought it in personal achievement, in accomplishments, in building a name for himself, but in verse 16, he says, this is meaningless, a mere chasing after the wind. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he sought it in wealth and possessions. But his conclusion in verse 9 of chapter 6 is it's all meaningless, merely chasing the wind. After each failed attempt to find something worth living for, he comes back to the same conclusion. Seventy times in the book, he says that apart from God, it's all meaningless, just a waste of his time. Not only is it meaningless, but nine times he says such a life is merely chasing after the wind. What a descriptive phrase used to describe how empty and pointless such things are without God. Even if we attain them, so what? Have you ever tried capturing the wind? You can run after it, and just when you think you're, you're making progress, perhaps you'll succeed, you discover there's nothing really there to catch. It's merely false hope and a failure to deliver on the promises. And the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us time and again, that's all that this world, apart from God, has to offer. As soon as you think you've reached the top, attained your goals, whether they're financial or pleasure or work, you find that there's nothing really there to give your life a meaning that's going to outlast the grave. It's merely a chasing the wind. For a time, you may attain a certain amount of happiness in such things. But you need to remember, by its nature, happiness is temporary. At best, it quickly passes. And then the chase for something else starts all over again. Sometime back, one of my sisters sent me the following. Perhaps some of us can identify with it. It says, I've recently been diagnosed with AAADD, which stands for Age-Activated Attention Deficit Disorder. This is how it goes. 
I decide to wash my truck. I, decide, I start toward the garage and notice the mail on the table. Okay, I'm going to wash the truck, but first, I'm going to go through the mail. I lay the car keys down on the desk, discard the junk mail, and I notice that the trash can is full. Okay, I'll just put the bills on my desk and take the trash out, but I, since I'm going to be near the mailbox anyway, I'll pay a few bills first. Now, where was my checkbook? Shoot, there's only one check left. My extra check or checks are in my desk. Oh, there's that Coke I was drinking. I'm going to look for those checks, but first I need to put my Coke further away from the computer, or maybe I'll pop it in the fridge to keep it cold for a while. I head toward the kitchen, and my flowers catch my eye. They need some water. I set the Coke on the counter, and there are my glasses. I was looking for them all morning. I'd better put them away first. I fill a container with water and head for the flower pots. Someone left the TV remote control in the kitchen. We're never going to think to look in the kitchen tonight when we want to watch television. I'd better put it back in the family room where it belongs. So I splash some water into the pots and onto the floor. I throw the remote back onto a soft cushion on the sofa, and I head back down the hall trying to figure out what I was going to do. So what happens at the end of the day? The truck is not washed, the bills are not paid, the Coke is sitting on the kitchen counter, the flowers are half, half water, the checkbook still only has one check in it, and I can't seem to find my car keys. And when I try to figure out how come nothing got done today, I'm baffled because I know it was a busy, long day. I realize this is a serious condition and I'll get help for it, but first I better check my email. It describes a life of chasing after the wind. You're running, busy, running to and fro, constantly distracted, going back and forth between whatever seems most pressing or holds the most pressing promise for the time, but you never really get anywhere. We may long for meaning and purpose, but we live such distracted lives with such short attention spans growing ever shorter. We can end up bouncing from one thing to the next, looking for something worth giving our lives to. And then we move on to something else because we haven't found it. When we get to the end, we know we were busy doing all this stuff, distracted by all these things which may be pressing and seem to hold promise, but in the end, they're mere chasing after the wind. Where has it gotten us? What's the point of it all? And so the writer says, meaningless, meaningless, all of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It was his lifelong search and striving that's described in Ecclesiastes. And the writer discovers at the end of it all what does have meaning as he concludes the book with the words, Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The word fear here doesn't mean to be afraid. It's a word often used for worship. It refers to devotion. It means to reverence, to be in awe, to show honor and respect. The only worthwhile meaning, he says, in life is found in the one who created us. He provides the framework by which we live and find meaning for life. And don't we all know, deep down inside, there has to be more to life than fame and fortune and other empty pursuits? 
There has to be something more worthwhile than living a self-centered existence all about what makes me happy, what I like, what I want. And there is. God told the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Eugene Peterson translates this, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you're hoping for. In other words, God has a plan for your life, a purpose for you, a reason he created you, and he's the one that says is responsible to take care of it and see it fulfilled if we let him. Purpose and meaning are not something we dream up or something we determine for ourselves, sit down with a pad of paper, writing out our goals and action plans of how we're going to achieve something. It's not found in a document. It's something to be discerned. It's something to be discovered. What is God's intent for our life? Because as Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose and work out his plans for our lives. Each of us has a choice. We can either pursue our own purpose and meaning based on what Paul described in Philippians as our own selfish ambitions and vain conceits, or we can seek to align our lives with the purpose set by the one who made us. We need a new way of thinking about life and purpose. Because of our Western mindset, we tend to understand purpose primarily as something to work towards what we're to do with our lives. It's all about doing and personal achievement and attainment. But that's a chasing after the wind. God's purpose is not about what you do. It's about who you are. Discerning his purpose is not what you're meant to do with your life rather than what you, who you are meant to be. Discovering the type of person he made you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field. If you really stop to consider a lily, you'll begin to realize it doesn't have to do anything. It's beautiful. It fulfills its purpose by simply being what God created it to be. It doesn't have to impress others or prove itself or strive to prove its worth or worthiness, fret over what it's supposed to accomplish. It simply is. And as far as God is concerned... Neither do you. You don't have to try to be something you're not or become something or someone you're not. Purpose begins with accepting who God created you to be, which oftentimes is one of the greatest impediments to living with purpose and meaning because we're too busy trying to do things to prove ourselves and our worth to really live and be with the Lord. Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Discovering who he was created to be. Too often we become dissatisfied with who we are or some trait or characteristic we're born with. We're made to feel like we don't measure up to some imposed false standard of what others say we should be or do or look like. 
that our worth is determined by what we accomplish. Chasing the wind. Trying to be something God didn't intend for us to be. Your worth comes from God. That's your purpose in life. In relation to this, one writer has said, you are not an accident. Your birth was not a mistake or a mishap. And your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not at all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. It's not fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You were alive because God wanted to create you. And your purpose starts with there, with him. We can all learn from our Lord that our greatest beauty isn't going to come in a cream or a gel or a bottle. It's not from net worth or name recognition, from the letters we have after our name or some possession. It comes from our creator, fulfilling who he made us to be. Or as highly regarded seminary professor Howard Hendricks used to tell his students, God is never going to love you more than he already does. And he's never going to love you any less. Because he created you to be who you are. And if you haven't already begun to discover that, maybe it's time to begin to learn and seek his meaning for your life. And that begins, Scripture says, with getting right with Him through Jesus Christ. We discover our purpose through Him. Anything else is a chasing after the wind. Several years ago, when our children were much younger, we were able to visit Lola's family in Okinawa. And on our way there, there was a layover and plane changed in the Haneda Airport in Tokyo. When we were there, unfortunately, a large storm was passing through the area and it was playing havoc with the schedules of the airlines. So we were standing there in the terminal waiting to check in for our connecting flight when a woman came on the intercom. You could hear some stress in her voice. Some flights had been canceled. Others were changed. And she apparently was giving some instructions because right after she spoke, a low rumble began in the building. And it grew louder and louder, and soon we saw this mass of people moving straight for us. It was like a herd of elephants charging from one end to the terminal to the other, and everyone else was moving out of their way. With all our luggage and three young children, there was no way we could move it all in time. So we did the only thing we could think of, We put Stephanie and Nathaniel and Jeremy behind the luggage, and I stood in front of it all, and because I was so much bigger than everyone else in the airport, it was like the Red Sea parting around me. (laughs) A few minutes later, the woman's voice came back on the intercom. This time, it wasn't stress, it was panic. The stampede and the rumble began going in the opposite direction. We did the same thing. Again, it parted like the Red Sea, and it happened several times. That's what life can be like without living the purpose God created us for. We're like that crowd rushing from one thing to the next. The world tells us this is important, this is worthwhile, and we rush over there 
And there's nothing there. And then someone tells us something else and we're rushing over there and we're going back and forth chasing after the wind. Merely chasing but never catching. Because it's all pointless. Even if we get those goals we've set for ourselves, so what? In the eternal scope of things. In a never never-ending search for something else to bring meaning and purpose to our lives. Because as Apostle Paul said, there is no foundation other than Jesus Christ. He told the Athenians that it's in him we live and move and have our being. Where is your direction coming from? What is it that gives you the strength to stand firm even in the midst of the storms and the push of the crowd? We had a, a friend Years ago, before we went to seminary at Olivet Baptist Church, he grew up in a home where his father was constantly telling him how worthless he was, that he's never going to amount to anything. He said that if Curtis didn't make it by 30, he never would. And it was like a tape recording. For years, that message played over and over and over in his mind, and he started to believe it. If he didn't make his first million by, the year, by age 30... His life was meaningless. That became his purpose in life. He achieved it. He ruined his marriage. He drove away many of his friends. He ruined his life. He discovered that it was all merely a chasing after the wind. Fortunately, the Lord got hold of him and gave him a fresh start that started with accepting that his worth, his value to God were not determined by what he did or what he attained, it was discovering who he was created to be. Don't let your life be taken off track by the stuff the world tells you it has to offer, but has no eternal significance. Because it's a mere chasing after the wind. That's what attracted so many to Jesus in the first place. They saw in him someone who was different, someone who was not stressed or pushed around by life, someone not driven by popular opinion or needing to please others or fear of rejection or trying to find acceptance or fit in. He knew who he was. And from that, his life and his actions followed with a very clear sense of direction. It even reached a point in John where it says he was together with his disciples and the dinner Time for dinner came, and it says, knowing where he came from, and knowing where he was going, he had full confidence in who he was, he got up, he took a towel, and he wrapped it around his waist, and he was ready to serve others. It was a purpose of who he was that enabled him not to care about whether that was beneath him, but he saw a need and he addressed it. And it's a purpose in the end that led him to the cross to give his life as a ransom for our sin. He came to a world which knew him not so that we might have a chance to know him and to know life. To seek anything else, anything less, is merely a chasing after the wind. What are you chasing after? Where is your purpose coming from today? Something that is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind, or is it based on who you were created to be and becoming that person 
through the strength and the power of God's Spirit. As we close with a hymn, of a song of invitation, it is an invitation if you have not discovered that purpose for your life. God freely offers to come into you. To give you that purpose, that direction, that meaning, if you open your heart to him. So I'm going to ask if the worship team can come. If we can all stand and as we sing, it's an invitation time. If there's some need you have in your own life, we invite you to come to pray with you here at the front. To accept the Lord as your Savior or to perhaps unite with us as a congregation as we serve together. Or follow in baptism. We invite you to come now as we sing together. amazing grace it's beyond description really and yet it's a grace that embraces us that fills us that calls us home we thank you Lord that we can live in that grace not just in a particular day or place but each day each place that we find ourselves because you are with us we thank you Lord may you bless each one we pray in Jesus name amen
Oh, no.